Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome to Speed Zone this evening. I'm Ben Cower, host of Speed Zone. Hope you're having a great Wednesday night. Uh, we have no interview tonight, but we got plenty to talk about in the world of racing. We got Formula One, we got IndyCar, we got NASCAR. Uh, we got a bunch to talk about. The 2024 uh, schedule for the Cup Series and every series in NASCAR, at least the top three series, released today. We'll be discussing that on the Racing Roundtable. We have a full panel tonight. Uh, two gentlemen joining me to discuss all the latest news. We had a fight in the Talladega race in the trucks and uh, everything will be discussed later on tonight as there's plenty to talk about in the realm of NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula 1, all around the racing world and it all starts next. Let's kick things off with Flag to Flag. Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. All right, let's start out with the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. I was teasing it just a moment ago. There was a fight in the race, but there was plenty more that happened in that race on Saturday, again at Talladega. And the winner was a former champion in the Truck Series, Brett Moffitt, in a one-off start, a second truck for Front Row Motorsports, the 34. Uh, he uh, entered the race with Front Row. His uh, first truck race this year for the former champion. He's been running full-time for AM Racing in the Xfinity Series in the 25 car mentioned after the win that he would be out of a job next year so presumably this win could help him out a lot so brett moffett ended up winning the race uh and his first truck start in 2023 it was a race filled with hard crashes, injured multiple drivers. Greg Van All, Stuart Friesen, both drivers ended up okay. They're you know, in the hospital, but a little banged up after some hard crashes. And Christian Eckes, who was leading, coming to the white flag, but had a bad block in turns one and two, handed the lead to Moffitt, who hung on to the lead for the win. Following the race, there was an incident in the garage area between the 47-year-old former series champion Matt Crafton and the 22-year-old rookie of the year, Nick Sanchez that left Sanchez's face bloodied and bashed and both drivers ended up not being suspended for that whether that's a controversial thing we'll be talking about that later on in the show but Sanchez still in the title hunt Crafton was eliminated at the end of last round and a bit of a racing incident occurred whether the 88 cut down or the two spun the 88 coming off of turn four we'll debate that later on in the show uh, Eckes uh, ended up in and uh, not even finishing in the top five, Ben Rhodes was second. Dean Thompson for Tricon <coughs> Racing, excuse me, ended up P3 in his number five machine. Chandler Smith filling in in the now vacant uh, of a driver 25 truck for Rackley WAR finished in fourth. And then Corey Heim and his incredible run this year, currently the points leader and the only winner in this round locked into the next one. Uh, Heim finished in P5 again in the truck race at Talladega. 
Now on to the Arkham Menards series at Salem Speedway, also on Saturday. Jesse Love was the winner. Andres Perez de Lara finished in second place. Christian Rose was third. Tony Breidinger, a lap down in P4. And Connor Popowell, two laps down in P5. Love led all 200 laps, flag to flag. <laughs> That's the segment we're in. Uh, to clinch the Arkham Menards series championship, his first ever national championship uh, after winning the West Series title back-to-back in 2020 and 2021. Entered with a 131-point lead over Andres Perez de Lara in the championship standings, and by the time the green flag flew, he'd about clinched it. But he was challenged for the race win. William Sawalich driving for Joe Gibbs Racing in the 18 machine, and Will Kimmel in his own number 69 car challenged him for the win, but uh, had issues after Love doored Sawalich into the outside wall on lap 71. Sawalich ended up five laps down, and Kimmel's car broke after a pit stop. So it was Jesse Love taking home the victory and his first-ever national championship in the Arkham Menards Series. Now on to the Arkham Menards Series West at All-American Speedway again on Saturday, and it was Caden Honeycutt, the 21-year-old, in his first-ever West Series start. His first race with Cook Racing Technologies in the 17 machine, he took home the victory. Sean Hingarani settled for second place, but such a result for Hingarani boosts his lead in the West Series Championship point standings. Landon Lewis, who before this weekend was just a point back from Hingarani in the standings, who was driving the 17 car all season long, did not race at All-American, presumably ran out of funding. So Hingarani ended up second behind Honeycutt, the winner. Tanner Reif in third place. Joey Yest in the fourth position. And Todd Souza rounded out the top five in his number 13 machine. Now on to the NASCAR Cup Series at Talladega on Sunday for the Yellowwood 500. And it was Ryan Blaney. And should be no shock and surprise, his third photo finish victory at Talladega in his career. An amazing finish, won by just a foot over the eventually disqualified car of Kevin Harvick. Blaney led eight laps on the day, but was out front the final two laps to secure the win by a slight .012 second, about the length of a tire, uh, over former series champion Kevin Harvick, who again is retiring at the end of the season. It's the uh, 29-year-old Blaney's second trophy of the season and the ninth of his career after a win earlier this year in the Coke 600. Uh, Harvick's number four Ford failed post-race inspection resulting in a disqualification and as a result of that he was moved to last place in the running order. There was 70 lead changes in this race which was the most in any NASCAR race since 2011 with the race having the 7th most lead changes in any NASCAR race ever. There were also 24 different leaders in a field of 38 cars. My goodness. And the top 10 in that race, Ryan Blaney in first, William Byron uh, with the Harvick disqualification finishes second, Denny Hamlin, uh, P3 in his number 11 machine, Corey LaJoey, who caused a big wreck coming to the flag, finishes in the uh, fourth position, Austin Sindrick gets his first top five of the year, Justin Haley for Colleg Racing in sixth, Chase Elliott in his number nine Napa machine in seventh, Ryan Priest in eighth in the Ricky Bobby Tribute car. Riley Herbst in only his fourth cup race earned his second top 10 in those four races in the 36 machine for front row and Daniel Suarez uh, rounded out the top 10 in his number 99 machine. Now on to the NASCAR Wheeland Modifieds at North Wilkesboro Speedway for the inaugural Brushy Mountain Power Sports 150 on Saturday. The overall winner was Matt Hirschman, who broke his arm not long ago. Hirschman was the winner. Ron Silk in second, Justin Bonsignor in third, Eric Goodale in fourth, and Patrick Emmerling in P5. Again, this was the final race of note on the current North Wilkesboro Racing Service that surface that has survived since the early 1980s. Again, modified drivers from the North and South 
South made the trip up to Wilkes County, and uh, Matt Hirschman took home the trophy after surviving several late restarts and was the one of the first to claim a checkered flag during North Wilkesboro's revival last year in 2022 and took yet another elevator ride to Victory Lane. Uh, you heard the bed end behind. There was so much racing action this weekend. We'll uh, round it out here with just two more. The Smart Tour Modifieds at Pulaski County Motorsports Park, formerly known as Motor Mile, on Sunday in the first race for the Smart Tour after two straight cancellations due to rain and weather overall. Sammy Ramo took home the victory over Matt Hirschman, who just a night after, or a day, I should say, after taking home the victory at North Wilkesboro, finishes runner-up in the Smart Tour Modifieds at Pulaski. And then Andrew Krause rounded out the podium. And again, Sammy Ramo with the victory over uh, drivers like Ryan Newman, who was also at North Wilkesboro, and uh, Bobby Labonte also in that race. Then finally, the World of Outlaws at Williams Grove Speedway in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, Friday and Saturday this past weekend for the champion Racing Oil National Open. And a top three in race number one on Friday, Brad Sweet took home the trophy. Carson Macedo in second place. David Gravel in P3. And then finally, the top three in race number two of the champion Racing Oil National Open. Brent Marks captured the victory. Darren Pittman in second. Enrico Abreu in P3. So that'll do it for Flag to Flag. We'll take a quick break here. And then when we return, it will be What's Up This Week. It's a segment of the show where I get to tell you you, the racing fan listening, uh, wherever you might be, what's up this week? Because there's plenty of racing action going all over the country and around the world uh, this week and weekend. So stay tuned. More up next here on Speed Zone. Colorectal cancer. It's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., but it is almost entirely preventable. Most colon cancers start as polyps, and screening helps find polyps so they can be removed before they even turn into cancer. Screening also finds this cancer early, when treatment works best. So if you're over 50, take control. Get screened for colorectal cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. And welcome back to Speed Zone. I'm Ben Cower, your host, and it's time it's that time of the week. What's up this week? It's where I get to tell you what the heck is going on this week in the world of racing. Let's start out with Friday, where, excuse me, the World of Outlaws will invade Port Royal Speedway for its second straight weekend in Pennsylvania for the first night of two at the Nittany Showdown. And then on Saturday, it's Trick or Treat Night at Ona Speedway here in Ona, West Virginia, nearby here in Huntington, West Virginia, uh, with seven features across seven, seven different series ready to do battle Qualifying is going to start at 4 p.m. Racing will be at 6 p.m. So again, that's not a far drive from here at Ona Speedway. Again, it'll be trick-or-treat night. Seven features across seven series looking to do battle. And there's no points on the line, only trophies and victories. Meanwhile, on also on Saturday night, night two, race number two of the Nittany Showdown for the World of Outlaws at Port Royal. And then also on Saturday, the NASCAR Xfinity Series is at the Charlotte Roval for a 250-mile playoff road course battle at 3 p.m. That'll be the uh, first race for the Xfinity Series in two weeks as it didn't race at Talladega. Then also the Solid Rock Carriers Cars Tour will have both the late model stock cars and pro late model divisions racing this weekend at South Boston Speedway with 250 miles of action in the third to last race of the season. Valley Star Credit Union 300 winner Trevor Ward as he won that race at Martinsville. That wasn't a Cars Tour 
quarter race, but will look to defend his home turf at South Boston after the biggest win of his career. And then finally, also on Saturday, the Arkham Menard Series will be closing out its 2023 season at Toledo Speedway with the Shore Lunch 200 at 4 p.m. And again, that is the National Series, not the West Series, which still has a couple races left. And then on Sunday, Formula One is at Lucerne Circuit for the Qatar Grand Prix at 1 p.m. for us here on the east coast of the United States, so you won't have to wake up early to watch that Formula One race, or like Japan, two weeks ago, you won't have to be awake at 1, p- or 1 a.m. to uh, watch that race on Sunday. It'll be at a nice, neat 1 p.m., and that race should conclude in the early afternoon before the NASCAR Cup Series race from the Charlotte Roval. Yes, that's right. It's the Roval weekend in Charlotte, and the cutoff race for the round of 12 in the Cup Series playoffs. That race will begin at 2.30 p.m. for race 6 of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Four drivers after the conclusion of that race will no longer be eligible for a Cup Series title and we'll be discussing who's going to get eliminated in that race and how that race might just go later on in in the upcoming segment uh, the Racing Roundtable as uh, again uh, Friday through Sunday so three days of racing action uh, this weekend. Plenty of series and racing action going on this weekend. Up next on Speed Zone will be the Racing Roundtable where myself and two panelists are going to discuss all the latest news this week including the 2024 NASCAR uh, schedules that were all released today. So we'll be talking about that and more up next on Speed Zone. Nearly all victims of shaken baby syndrome suffer serious health consequences, and at least one out of every four babies who are violently shaken dies from this form of child abuse. Anyone, from parents to caregivers to bystanders, can do something to help. Tell everyone about the dangers of shaking a baby and what to do if they become angry, frustrated, or upset. Visit www.cdc.gov injury to learn about shaken baby syndrome and ways to prevent it. A message from CDC. If you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? And who is at the table today? It shouldn't be a surprise. None other than Dale Garrett and Sean Kelly. Welcome back to the show, you two. we got plenty to talk about tonight. How are you guys doing? I'm back. Good, good. It's good <laughs> to be <Die>. here. <laughs> Sean, why'd you say it like that? I I don't I don't know. I was out last week. I was out last week due to sports view, and now I'm back. It's great He's to be happy back. to be here. I'm We're all to happy here, to be here, Ben. I'm so happy you guys are back on the show. The gang you. is back to get... <laughs> what did you say? I said I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start out tonight uh, with, obviously, the... Or, hold on. We can't have a topic without... There we go. The 2024 schedule for the NASCAR Cup Series, Xfinity Series, and Truck Series all dropped today. I uh, specifically sent you guys uh, the Cup Series schedule, so there weren't many changes for the Trucks and the Xfinity Series. I'll go over those changes before we start talking, where uh, obviously... it. The uh, Talladega will be back in the fall for the Xfinity Series. Uh, and uh, for the truck schedule, new on it, uh, it'll be Bristol Concrete in the spring, replacing the Bristol Dirt Race. And the second Martinsville race, uh, which will replace Mid-Ohio in the truck schedule, 
Again, Martinsville added to the playoffs for the trucks in the round of eight cutoff. And uh, IRP now moved to the regular season in the trucks. And then also, again, notable. No dirt races in NASCAR this upcoming year. Not in the trucks, not in the Cup Series. And then, again, Milwaukee Mile will also return for trucks. So, we'll focus on the Cup side of the schedule. And I pose to the panel, did it meet the hype or was it disappointing? Sean, I'll start off with you. I wouldn't necessarily say I was I was hyped when I saw the schedule, but... I'm not as mad at it as other people I've seen seem to be. I I liked the fact that the Bristol Spring Race returned to concrete. I never got the Bristol Dirt Race. I always thought it was very gimmicky and just too gimmicky. And I never it never really made up for it in the racing, at least in my opinion. I, I liked that change, and I think it's interesting that Watkins Glen is uh, in the chase now. Uh, I hope that the racing is, is, is better than what we saw this year from the road uh, from Watkins Glen, but I, I'm interested to see how that goes in the chase, and I'm also interested by Iowa as well. It seems that NASCAR has finally taken the advice of every caller on the Dave Moody show on MRN <laughs> and put it in the, in the race, in the schedule, I mean. Yeah, you know, certainly with all the rumors that surrounded this schedule for so long, it sounded like it was going to be completely different and turned upside down, and it it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, So due to that, no, it did not meet the hype. Um, But I wouldn't really call it disappointing. We have uh, maybe not small victories, but large victories in my book of the following of Iowa being on the schedule that's that's really cool that's track always puts on a great show for the xfinity series and it races like a small intermediate track and run up near by the wall which is what the next gen car puts on the best shows at as intermediates so that'll be interesting uh the indy oval thankfully we are back on the oval i I disagree i never i I have not i have not liked that i can't even remember the last time i liked the indy oval i you're you're telling me that the indy road course was better option i'm not saying it was a great option but compared to how i remember uh the not how I remember the races the past couple years that it was the Indy Oval. I was just never excited for it, ever. Okay, I'll, I'll agree with you on that front. That no, it's not the most exciting race because mm-hmm. it's built for IndyCar, um, but it's better than the road course. Sorry, I, it is. I can see where you're coming from with that, especially with how the cars ran on the on ro- on most road courses this year, and especially Watkins Glen and the Indy Road Course, but. I, I, the my distaste for the Indy Oval is really overpowered the disappointment of the Indy Road Course, and if anything, that's my most disappointing change from the schedule. You heard it here first. Sean Kelly's upset about it. No, oh, oh my. But, so yeah, the I with regards to the schedule, uh, I do I love the addition to Iowa. I love the addition of Iowa because if there is one of the primary issues with the next-gen car at short tracks is that it struggles at tracks that don't have usable lanes everywhere where, I mean, you saw how North Wilkesboro is going to be back on the schedule this next year for the all-star race and they're repaving it. So the groove is about to get even less <laughs> and I, whether that's going to result in people just you know, bumping each other out of the way, there's not going to be a second groove at that track next year. And I mean, you, you've seen 
obviously this car has struggled at places like Martinsville and uh, but it can thrive at places like Bristol Dale we saw it in person where it's tracks short tracks primarily that have multiple grooves Richmond for the last couple years before the next-gen car struggled with its racing quality and then with the next-gen car it has had a bit of a revitalization because you can use multiple grooves on that track and Iowa is the dream for this car with regards to a short track you can you can you can use the bottom I can't wait to see Kyle Larson and Chase Briscoe and Tyler Reddick ripping the top side they're not going to be less than it'll be like a millimeter off the wall Mm. and I mean, this car or this track, it's a good facility. I have to give a, a big uh, round of applause to. Wait, hold on. I got a big. Er, not the laugh. Hold on. A applause. There we go. I got a bigger, big round of applause to High V and IndyCar for keeping this place alive. NASCAR also purchased the track, but uh, good, you know, Hy-Vee, the company, put a lot of money into this track, and it kept it alive. IndyCar's been racing there the last couple years, built a lot of new infrastructure at the Speedway, and, you know, certainly, I'm I'm sure NASCAR factored that decision into bringing the Cup Series there next year, and, you know, I was going to be a great track. I'm super pumped for that. I'm not too thrilled on the rest of it where i thought it was a bit of a disappointment with regards to dale i mean you mentioned it too where with all the talk that had gone around about this schedule and all the tracks that might have been added and all the changes that could have gone you know either way you know montreal was thrown around a return to montreal and then would be would be a first for the cup series and that didn't end up happening no dirt i just find it funny that you know i know the attendance was really struggling at the Bristol dirt race, but not a single dirt race after uh, this year in any series. There's nothing in the trucks. There's nothing in cup. There's no dirt racing in NASCAR for the first time in about 10 years. And I think that is a tragedy of a loss. And, you know, it was a, it was a good race at the Bristol dirt race this year. They finally figured it out because there was multiple grooves you could use it and I, I thought it was a good race uh, no Road America at all because Road America seems a bit disappointed that NASCAR upped and left after it was bringing 150 people 150,000 people to the track uh, for 4th of July two years ago and now NASCAR has not a single race at Road America next year and I think that is another big tragedy uh, again North Wilkesboro I think the novelty of it is really awesome i'm really happy that that track came back but i'd like to see it more as a points race rather than the all-star race Mm -hmm. especially with the racing quality there and then overall i just think i i'm intrigued by the indie oval i know you had similar but differing opinions on it sean and and dale but i like the historical aspect of it a lot i agree with that i'm intrigued to see the next gen car there uh, whether it puts on a good show or maybe the worst race in NASCAR history, we'll have to wait and see until next year. But I think from a legacy standpoint, a historical standpoint, and overall just the driver's standpoint, capturing a Brickyard 400 victory on the Oval is way more prestigious than winning on the road course there, even though the racing quality at the Indy road course was it was okay. But it just seemed like a filler race. It's the same thing like Thank the you. Roval, same thing as the Daytona Road Course. Daytona Road Course, amazing for the Rolex 24. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to see NASCAR stock cars race on it ever again. Uh, same thing with the Indy Road Course. I thought the racing wasn't bad, but, you know, I could take it or leave it. I would prefer the historical aspect of the Brickyard 400. But, you know, with some of these changes, the fans got to put 
the money where their mouth is with regards to Spring Bristol and the Indy 500 coming back. I know the drivers wanted the Indy 4, Indy 5, or, or not Indy 500, <laughs> Brickyard 400. They wanted the Brickyard 400 back more than the fans probably did, but I want to see, I would like to see more fans show up for the 400 at uh, Indy and then especially Spring Bristol because fans mm-hmm. had been berating it. The fact that one of the two dates at one of the best tracks on the schedule was covered in, in dirt and not now, to mention it coated the entire facility. It did. Yeah, at Bristol they still haven't power washed all the seats. They're all caked in clay. I'm sure they have tried to power wash. And it's just there. It's stained. Forever. Yeah. And uh but I want to see a good I would I hope to see there there's a good crowd there next year for Spring Bristol because uh, it was bad before they mm. made the change and yeah. if it's the same way again then I mean I don't really think NASCAR is going to have a choice at that point if the attendance is below a certain amount. But overall, I think the the schedule changes were... There were some positives. There were some negatives. And I'm I'm whelmed. I'm whelmed. I'm not not wowed. I'm whelmed. And I will say quickly about regarding my my point uh, or adding on to my point of the Indy Oval, I I should say. I agree with you on the historical aspect, and I certainly agree that I would, when adding in the historical context to it, I would much prefer the Oval and the Brickyard 400 over the Indy Road Course, and same thing with the filler, filler point. But, and I do say the quality of it with hesitation, because with this new car, there have been tracks, like Kansas is the most notable example, where in years past, it wasn't exactly the most exciting race on the on the schedule but now with the new generation it it revitalized it and maybe the same thing will happen with the indy oval i'm I'm not sure but i i say that with hesitation but when just comparing straight quality to quality i I was kind of underwhelmed with the oval in the past and i I just want to make three more points i think the in going off of in addition what ben kennedy said and you know ben kennedy he said this was the uh, 24th different version of this schedule so nascar really had to work to make this schedule happen because i'm sure it was trying it was trying to get a lot of these possible tracks on the on the cup schedule you know montreal being one of them it didn't happen and uh he said you know no guarantee there's three things that stood out to me atlanta is now the second race of the season again right after daytona so that's two plate races in a row to begin the year and then speaking of plate races which i say it's not really a plate race anymore but it's just slang at that point. Daytona is not the regular season finale anymore. It's now the Southern 500. And from an entertainment aspect, I hate that so much. I love the Southern 500, and I love Daytona being the regular season finale. I think it is the perfect race to have as a regular season finale with this format. And I know why, because they didn't want to tear with the awkward way the dates work out this year Darlington ended up being the 26th race of the year because that's when Labor Day is so that's going to be the awkward regular season finale this year maybe it ends up being an amazing race I don't know but I don't know I'm going to miss Daytona being the regular season finale if that's it and then uh, the other race I wanted to mention was again Watkins Glen being in the in the playoffs now but I just couldn't go without mentioning that Daytona isn't the cutoff race anymore I I'm going to miss that and then Atlanta being the follow-up race after Daytona the fans might like that man are the team owners going to hate that (laughs) that is not going to be a popular move with 
everybody working on those cars. It's one thing, well, a couple things I want to bring up. You mentioned how Darlington is now the regular season finale. I think that it should open the playoffs like it has been. It's the perfect track to open the playoffs to. Though the regular season finale, I envision it being okay there. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, this isn't a permanent change. I mean, like, like it's only for one ben year. Said, right. It's only because Labor Day just so happens to fall on that part of the schedule. But I just wanted to say, but Ben Kennedy said today, uh, no guarantee Daytona returns to the spot as the regular season finale in 2025. But, again, he said Darlington was too important as a Labor Day race to swap it and retain Daytona as a regular season finale next year, uh, especially with the, I can't go without mentioning it, the two-week break in the middle of the summer for the Olympics because that's NBC's half of the schedule and you know NBC's not going to want anything else impeding upon that, uh, all of its coverage across all the networks it has, and it just can't fit in NASCAR in that slate, and NASCAR's kind of at its mercy. So a mm. uh, two-week break in the summer, that's not exactly ideal because the only other thing going on at that time is baseball. So NASCAR misses out on two prime dates. You know who's really going to love that? SRX. Yeah. SRX is going to love that, that two-week period in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But overall, I, I don't know. I, I think that... I'm going to miss Daytona as the regular season finale if that doesn't come back because I think it has been the perfect spectacle of the finale of the regular se- of the finale of the regular season heading into this playoff format the past couple of years. Round 1 in the playoffs is now goofy and I don't like it. <laughs> it is Atlanta, Watkins Glen and Bristol. That is terrible. It's a little goofy. It's very goofy round. The one. only acceptable playoff race in there is Bristol. Watkins Glen and Atlanta do not belong in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Neither one. I, you know, I could see Atlanta making a case, but at the same thing, I, I don't. What I don't like about Watkins Glen being there is because it has been in the same date really for the last, like mid to late August, for a long time. The only time it got uprooted was because of COVID in 2020. But uh, that is a tradition for a lot of people to go up there at that time of the year and And now now people are going to have to change their plans and not everybody's going to be able to continue that tradition and Mm -hmm. now it also fights with people who drive down from like buffalo with if it's coincides with the buffalo bills game Mm -hmm. or syracuse football or people who drive down from new york for even penn state games because there's people who who do that as well so it's going to fight with that as well it's not nearly as big of a disaster as the schedule change in 2004 was when the southern 500 was moved off of its traditional labor day date because you know the legacy between one of them is a crown jewel race and the other is not but uh, i i feel bad for all the traditions being uprooted by moving the glen date from where it's really been for the last i don't know i mean the last like 30 years it's been around the same time and then now it's now it's in like mid what is it september September. 15th yeah it's like a month nearly a month and a half i'd say about a month behind when it usually Mm -hmm. runs in mid-august so it's I don't like that. And then one more thing is, uh, I'm disappointed Sonoma's not a spring race. It's in the summer again, so we gotta we gotta watch all the the dry grass and the. Bleh. I just want them to go when the grass is green in Sonoma. But oh well, we'll move on to the next topic. Obviously, Talladega happened this last weekend, and there was a lot that happened. So we'll start out with just your two thoughts on uh, Dega, the truck race and the cup race. Dale, we'll start out with you. 
Well, for the truck race, you got to feel for Greg Van Alst. The guy has crashed, I believe, in every start that he has started, and now he's mm-hmm. uh, got a broken vertebrae in his back. So yeah, uh, or it's his chest, isn't it? I don't know. Friesen broke I, his I, I back. Heard, okay. I, I Both of them are banged up. Yeah, yes. I thought I heard it was vertebrae, but I could be wrong. And my three words to describe the Dega truck race is a bunch of goons. <laughs> um, as per usual. Bunch of goons. And we'll get into the elephant in the room about the fight later, but... I'm going to bust his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, but for the cup race, oh my goodness. What a race. A lot of lead changes. The pack was uniform, and, you know... They could go three wide. They could comfortably. Um, Hallelujah! It was it was Hallelujah. nice. It was nice seeing the field together for so long, up until <laughs> coming out of the trial. Mm-hmm. Corey LaJoy, Spire Motorsports number seven Camaro. Mm-hmm. Hit the button. Okay. What is he button. doing? <laughs> there is no re- he was not going to pass Riley Herbst. For those who don't know, Corilla Joy tried to pass Riley Herbst with two inches coming to the finish line, and and wrecked the entire field because of it, taking out like tw- twenty five cars, costing millions of dollars. There was no purpose into making the move, and then he gets out on MRN and says, "Oh well, well he left a hole there. You weren't going to pass him before the finish line. Not to mention the rookie stripes on his bumper. I'm not saying don't try to pass him, but." At least, ugh. It's just, I hated seeing all those cars get tore up at the end of the race because of Corey LaJoy. You can turn it off now. Oh, you want to turn it off? Yes. I'm done. Okay. What a forceful <laughs> way to end that rant. I'm done. He's done. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to have to agree on that one, Dale, where uh, I... I LaJoey just turned him coming to the finish. You know, Riley Herbst had a great race going. What, you know, I just, I want to give a a round of applause to Riley Herbst. Mm -hmm. Two top tens in his four cup starts. They've all been at plate tracks, but he's done well. He has. He's run clean. He runs up front in these races. He did Mm -hmm. the same at Daytona at the end of August. Uh, He was, I don't really remember, I don't remember if he ran... Uh, I don't remember the if he ran Dega in the spring, but all I remember is that he had a top 10 in the Daytona 500 with Rick Ware and then was up in contention uh, at the August Daytona race. And then, heck, he was battling for a win uh, this mm-hmm. weekend. And you know, it's got turned coming to the, the finish. And it was just like, what was LaJoey doing? I don't know. Uh, you know, he can use all his stacked pennies to pay for the millions of dollars in damage he caused at the end of the uh, at the end of the year or at the, at the end of the race because it was just so silly. They kept it so clean for the most part the entire day. The racing was phenomenal. We mentioned it in flag to flag where uh, there there was so many lead changes. It was the most seventh most in any NASCAR race ever. They said with fifteen to go, there were sixty three lead changes, yeah. and that was the most since twenty eleven. And there were definitely more from there 70 was the final number on that and again it was the most it was the most lead changes in any nascar race since 2011 like holy crap you know like the uh, what a what a race it was this was my and sorry to cut you off. no no you're good but this was honestly my second favorite cup race of the year and nothing is going to top chicago i don't care what happens the rest of the year that is going to be my favorite race of the year but this was my one of my favorite cup races to watch all year i I mean we've all mentioned the racing and all of the lead changes that happened Uh, it was 
almost perfect, except uh, as a fan, I would have preferred Harvick end, end up on top after how he was battling all race. Well. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> alas. Um, we had a photo finish. We did, and there was that, too. Love a fight. Blaney does it again. <laughs> Dramatic fashion, and even and even the truck race as well. Even though there were a lot of unfortunate events, uh, unfortunate that events it. that occurred, including uh, another interesting moment to watch as a fan, but also unfortunate on the track was Zane Smith turning oh, yeah. too hard into his hitting pit, his pit crew, hitting guy. his one of his tire changers, I believe, and then the tire changer just walks off as if nothing happened. He got punted like a soccer ball. Yeah, I, he love, flew into the air. Mm-hmm. Don't you love that this was overshadowed? By everything else that happened this yeah. weekend. <laughs> what would be a top story anywhere else we go? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, so much happened this week that, there, I mean, there's so much talk about that a guy getting knocked about 15 feet down pit road was now just mentioned. And, and, then, was, and then walking off. And then walking off. Like he was walking out of the store. Yeah. I mean, it, it was... Uh, a eventful race in the truck series at, at Talladega. It always is. You know, that is the, I think that's the eighth straight winner in the truck series race at Talladega in the fall race that it is not a playoff driver or it's somebody that hasn't won yet that year. So it was, at least this year, there wasn't uh, too much of a shock winner, so to say. It wasn't like Spencer Boyd or like Tate Fogelman, you know, winning the race. But uh, Moffitt, I mean, he's a former champion. I would like to see him in that. I'd like to see him in the 38 next year, personally, for mm-hmm. front row. I think that would be a great fit. And uh, maybe this was a test run of that because he said he's going to be without a ride next year. AM Racing is a big announcement tomorrow. And that happens tomorrow. So, I mean, we don't know what it is and we can't talk about it now, even if we did. So, uh, AM Racing will have that big announcement tomorrow. So, uh, and it apparently doesn't include Moffitt. So Moffitt could have been racing for a job next year, and he went out and won in his one truck race this year. So maybe that locks him in next year. And then again in the truck race or in the cup race, excuse me. Uh, no flips, almost a flip. I predicted Brad Keselowski to win. He did win stage two, and then almost flipped over in stage three. Then Dale, who who'd you pick? Uh, you, you had my, a, my pick did not age well. It was Ross Chastain who no. finished thirty eighth. No, <laughs> last no. car. Last oh, no. <laughs> that didn't end too well. No, no, it did not. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, he was the what was he was the first one out of the race. He right? was, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it wasn't really his fault. He just mm-hmm. got knocked up in three and four into the outside wall, and there, you know, I thought that car might have been able to continue. It didn't have that bad of damage, but then again, I'm not. This is the next gen car we're talking about. Yeah, here. like you could kick it the wrong way and it could mm-hmm. break. But then again, if you you could do what Chastain did Martinsville last year, and then <laughs> this car is so weird. But oh well. Uh, had a photo finish. Blaney wins again at Talladega. It saves his skin. Will it? Could it propel him to a title? Maybe give him, maybe maybe give him and that uh, 12 team some momentum down the stretch here. Penske struggled a lot this year. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, it's a shame for Kevin Harvick. He was so close in that race and uh to a potential victory but man it would have been can you imagine if harvick won that race and then they had the celebration that he presumably would have had with the Mm -hmm. fans and the special moment that that would have been and then they take the nascar takes it away after the flag because his windshield wasn't fastened they wouldn't have done that that is i agree with that think about it i i i agree with that deal think about it i agree where they wouldn't have taken away from harvick no it's like if they could bring the most cheated up car 
to Phoenix, and Harvick could win by a country mile, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't take that win away from him. No, I'm not saying Stuart Haas should do it, but hey, if there's any anybody from Stuart Haas Racing listening, They're you gonna, should do that. You should take the T-Rex car. You should take the T-Rex car. <laughs> Bring it back. Take the rocket fuel from <laughs> Take Michael the rocket fuel from Waltrip <laughs> and then combine that with the T-Rex car and then do whatever the heck that Hendrick's been doing to its cars the last 30 years They're, and then just take that to Phoenix. That would be Ned Jarrett's... Uh, record of winning by 15 laps (laughs) he might be you know harvick i'll I'll say this harvick had the fastest car there in the spring if they bring the same car well i mean they brought the same setup to bristol as they did last year that didn't work out too well (laughs) no it did not no it didn't so maybe if they work on a little bit maybe childers and harvick got a little magic left in the tank but who knows uh we'll move on to the next topic But we'll stay on the topic of Talladega as this past weekend... I'm going to bust his ass. It was Crafton versus Sanchez in the most... It was after the race. Matt Crafton, 47-year-old veteran, three-time champion in the truck series. Uh, They tangled during the race, uh, whether who did what. Uh, The two-truck was... In the middle, and the 88 was on the high lane, and then they collided and caused a big pileup. 88 got sent around, 2 was able to continue, and then Matt Crafton waited until after the race, and uh, uh, either, you know, two different accounts, but uh, the tail of the tape is that he slugged Nick Sanchez in the eye socket, and Nick Sanchez was bleeding all over the place, all over him. Sanchez was yelling at him, I'm going to kill you at Homestead. And uh, it ended up with both drivers not being suspended. Uh, Crafton was fined $25,000. Sanchez was fined $5,000. Sanchez's father, Rene, who was also involved in the fight because he <laughs> tackled Crafton after his son got slugged. Uh, Rene is now banned for, through the end of the year from NASCAR events, so it'd be a shame if Sanchez ends up winning the truck title. He can't be there, but... Oh, no. Uh, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, it would be a shame for Sanchez. But overall, I, I'll post to you guys in the first part of this question. Who was in the right and who was in the wrong on track and in the fight? Dale, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to bust his ass. <laughs> All right. So Sanchez is a rookie, okay? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that gives him the excuse. Um, but this situation is very similar to the one I just ranted about. But there was more room there this time around. I'm not... I think it was just a freak accident, really. Sanchez is a rookie again. You know, it could have been that. He's 22. Um, So, I really not... I can't pin blame on anybody for the on-track incident. But as far as what happened afterward, oh my goodness. I mean, generally, nobody's right for fighting. I don't care what happens. Mm -hmm. But this was... This was ridiculous. Um, somebody that much older, a veteran who's been in the sport for 20-plus years, sneaking up, or at least what the majority of accounts say. Matt Crafton was racing in the West Series before Sancho was, was even born. Yeah. I mean, he was out in, the, what, the Winston West Series? It wasn't mm-hmm. It wasn't what is now Arkham Menards West, but, I mean, he was out there racing against Kurt Busch. Mm-hmm. Or, I think he was in Kurt Busch's car, the Star Nursery car out there. Either yeah. way, he was racing competitively in NASCAR before Sanchez was even born. Mm-hmm. That's the age difference here. And on top of that, on the track, I think Crafton waited 
at least an hour after the crash actually happened and changing into street clothes and going in and out of mm-hmm. the infield care center whatever else he did in mm-hmm. in betwixt the the wreck and the and the the fight to from at least from Nick Sanchez's account tap him on the shoulder and then punch him in the eye socket I mean it was ugly yeah that was an ugly scene it was very ugly I I haven't seen a driver bleed like that since Kyle Busch in Vegas in 2017 and this was worse it was way worse far worse far worse it was really ugly I mean Sanchez got all stitched up in the in the uh, infield care center afterwards, go and look up a video of him having the interview after that happened because you can see it. The yeah. stitches go from like his nose all the way up into his his uh, eyebrow and all over. It's it's ugly. He'll you know, in the words of Boris said on Greg Biffle, he'll show up to the track next week with a with a black eye. But he uh, or or two weeks from now, my bad. But he uh, it was ugly, and I'll say it. Crafton turned down under the two. Maybe I'm blind, but I, okay. from what I saw, Crafton turned down. He cleared himself off the two's nose and caused that wreck. So, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I that what happened with Crafton. I mean, it's a he said, she said moment, racing incident. You could even say, but the two held his line in the middle, and the 18 or the 88 of Crafton was on the move from the outside, trying to merge in front of the two on the inside. And he was not clear, and whether that was Crafton or his spotter, more than likely his spotter, Crafton and the 88 truck overall that team cleared itself off the nose of the two and caused that wreck so that makes in my opinion the fight in the garage after the race pretty long after the race even more egregious compared to what happened on the track uh, you know Crafton as a veteran needs to set an example and in his mind the way he described it I think he was he was saying you know he's standing up he's ton of he's tired of these young guns coming in and pushing everybody around with no respect and he had to set him straight I don't think a surprise slug to the eye socket in the garage afterwards after you know being hiding in street clothes and behind you know tires in the garage and then popping out like a whack-a-mole and then just you know saying hey nick and then you know bopping him right in the right in the eye socket i don't think that's the right example to set and in my opinion I, he should have been johnny Sauter got suspended years ago versus austin hill for the on-track issue at iowa for way less in okay, my opinion okay listen. i think sanch or i think Crafton should have been sitting at home for at least the next race listen we don't have all the evidence okay we just have what was posted on x and Reddit mm-hmm. and wherever else. NASCAR said they investigated it and this is what happened. I agree. Crafton should have been suspended for it. I yeah. also agree with that. Um, but, you know. And I agree with the Sanchez fine for what he said afterwards because he can't say, I'm going to kill you at Homestead. Yeah, you, yeah, I'm paraphrasing that because there, there was a word in there I can't, an expletive in there, but uh, he can't, you can't say that either. No. So I think the fine for Sanchez is okay. I just disagree with the punishment level on Crafton. I also don't think it, it was... I still don't think it was the... Uh, I still think it was not the smartest move on Sanchez's part on the track, but as as Dale said, it, it could be just a, a rookie mistake. I certainly don't think it was intentional by, by any means. It was just... Uh, Maybe being non-committal with, with the, yeah. with the <laughs> s- space he had in the middle, but... There's, there's really no need for what we heard from the account of uh, b- between Kraft and 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 Sanchez. 
even if Crafton said that apparently before that there was threatening on the part of Sanchez, even without the I'm going to kill you statement. Which makes zero sense. I'm going to bust his ass. The the statement Matt Crafton put out made no sense. It didn't make sense. Whatsoever. I don't know. Sanchez is the most... I, like he's the most tame guy ever. He never gets angry, and I, I you know, it, I'm not in the garage. I didn't hear what Crafton heard, or maybe maybe he's making up. Maybe he heard it. I don't know. But from from everything I've seen in Nick Sanchez, he is certainly never an aggressor in any situation. I've never seen him push somebody out of the way. I've never seen him run somebody over on the track. I've never seen him tr- threaten somebody. He just seems like a very he had an interview before one of the truck races here, Fox had a promo and they asked him like, what are you? And he's like, I'm very much an introvert. I don't like conflict. Like, I don't like like getting into with people. I just want to drive. And then I just don't like, he's like, I don't like even being around people. And I was like, I, I just find it a far cry. They'd be like, I'm going to, I'm going to kick your butt. You, you, you turn across my nose. Screw you. And I, and I will say he even sounded like that even after, after the fight in, in another interview where mm-hmm. he still had the same tone of, yeah, he. It was a cheap shot. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm all, I'm all for fighting, but you can't, you can't cheap shot me. We need to find that promo that you're talking about, Ben, and put it with the fight footage. <laughs> like I, I, Fox says it. I'll have to. We just, we'll dig that. I'll, I'll ask Fox, and then you, right. I don't know. All right. So uh, that was certainly a uh, an event that happened on. Uh, on Saturday, and uh, you know, I I just hope that nobody gets busted in the eye socket like that again. <laughs> I'm gonna bust his ass. <laughs> but we'll move on to another topic. Are drivers fighting each other more beneficial to the growth of the sport, or is it more of a detractor? Because I'll say, you know, it was trending. It was I was a lot. I mean. That was arguably the biggest thing that happened out of that race. Out of everything that happened in, in that race, that blew up the most on social media. So I, this, this doesn't need to be too extensive of an answer, but yes or no, really, are drivers fighting each other more beneficial to the growth of the sport? Should it be more boys have at it like it was about 15 years ago? Or is it more of a detractor in your guys' opinion? Sean, I'll start with you. I will say that too much of it, of it being... Every other week basis or something along those lines would definitely be detrimental. You don't want, especially with as focused as NASCAR has been on making the sport popular with people who are not inherently fans of the sport. You don't want it to become WWE and just have fans who are just getting into the sports impression of oh this is an every week thing of every week they're fighting this is this is awesome oh yeah they're gonna fight every week but <laughs> by the same token you can't be one of those fans who's like i miss the old days when rusty wallace and dale senior were, were, were fighting every, every week and you know it was a boys have added sort of deal as you said you know and I then uh, one rattles cage a little bit you know what i mean yeah you know you just got to rattle his cage a little bit <laughs> and then also go back and say oh, i hope matt crafton gets suspended for the rest of the for the rest of the rest of the year this is unacceptable you, you can't have you can't have your cake and eat it too as the saying goes mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of middle ground somewhere in in between those two differing opinions my statement earlier when i said you know you shouldn't be fighting that was for that incident okay because i mean there are certain situations where it's not right to wreck cars yeah like what boris said said 
<laughs> it's not right to wreck race cars, but... Mm-hmm. Um, what Boris said. What Boris said said. Who said? And he's back at the Roval. Said head. Who said? Back to our original topic. <laughs> um, as far as the growth of the sport, yeah, I think some of it is healthy, but I agree with Sean. A lot of it, it could be a detriment. Uh, people love conflict. It gets us outside news coverage. Um, you know, I think that we haven't had a half-decent one in a while since, uh, what, Gregson and Chastain? Yeah, yeah. Kansas in yeah. the spring. Um, so we were, du- we were due for a fisticuffs. Yeah, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, high-pressure situation. So to a point, it is healthy. I agree where, uh, you know, it's you don't want too much of something – but at the same time, you don't want none of it at, at all because it's like the fans like it when there is drama. Mm-hmm. And the fans don't like it when there is nothing going on at the same time. And I think tempers, you know, boiling over occasionally is very entertaining. I'll admit, as a you know, play-by-play and track announcer, I mean, it makes things a bit more interesting when there's a rivalry going on. Or if maybe there's some fisticuffs. Uh, I mean, at Ona, there was <laughs> some guy after the Ohio Wilman race a few weeks, a few weekends ago, uh, he went. Uh, he got taken out of the race with his competitor and uh, wasn't too happy about it. They went behind the wall. He picked up his bumper and threw it at the other guy. <laughs> there's no video footage. There's of this. no video footage of that happening, but uh, that's apparently what happened. <laughs> and you know, cops got called in. But it was. Uh, it's when something like that happens, it sticks in your mind a bit. These guys have tempers. You know, they they're running hot. They're competitive. They want to win. And sometimes it boils over. And I agree with you guys that I think it's healthy when it happens, you know, every once in a while. But too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing. And maybe it's to a point where it might be, it might stretch from not being a good thing. It's like uh, earlier on in the year when, you know, people like sometimes cautions or accidents kind of divvying up a race in natural order, but they don't like it when it's like, circuit of the americas where it's complete overload and you know guys are just constantly wrecking each other and there's no driving standards so i I agree with you guys in that i think it's good to happen every single every once in a while but uh you don't want too much of it so we'll move on to the next topic Erebus Motorsports, a uh, or Erebus Motorsport, no S at the end of that. A V8 Supercars team will be joining the Cup Series next year in select events and an alliance with RCR to field driver Brody Kostecki, who debuted in Cup this year with RCR in a third open car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course this year. Are we starting to see more international teams gradually enter NASCAR as a result of the success of Shan Van Gisbergen at the Chicago Road Course? Street course, I should say. Or is Airbus the only team of its kind doing this for the foreseeable future? Dale, I'll start with you on this one. I don't know about teams per se, but drivers, I'm sure we haven't seen the end of it. The The team thing is definitely unique. And to be honest, I don't watch V8 supercars. I have no idea who these people are. Airbus is currently leading the points. They are the best team down there right now. Okay. So, I mean... Will Brown and... Uh, Brody Kostecki, drive for them mm-hmm. for in the V8 supercars. Okay. Yeah. I, I, crazier things have happened. I, I don't know. I have no idea. But certainly I think that we'll still see the influx of drivers like we saw after um, SVG. But uh, it'll be interesting to see for sure. I mean, I believe it's partially due to the success of, of 
Van Gisbergen. It's it, it's like the saying goes, winning makes everything better. It's it's like that. But I mean, we've seen drivers come in from other other sport, other types of racing, even before Van Gisbergen drove in Chicago. We got Jensen Button this year, Kimi Raikkonen, etc. Et also, Mike Rockefeller. Mike Rockefeller all make their debuts this year. I also believe partially due to the influx of road courses that we had this year. Mm, yeah. So it could be due to that. And also, this is not this is not a one-time thing. This is not the first time this has happened. You remember in the late 2000s when all the drivers like Dario Franchitti, Jacques Villeneuve, Part- Patrick Carpanier, Sam Hornish Jr., they all made their bu- debuts in the late 2000s in a similar, similar fashion here. But uh, it could partially be due to SVG winning and bringing teams in at least. But... It could also just be a slow, gradual thing of drivers from V8 supercars, all the, uh, the Australian racing and all that, coming in and seeing, oh, you know, NASCAR is more than just Sonoma and Watkins Glen every year. These, This is a good opportunity for us, so let's let's get something, something going here. You know, I, I agree with you guys. I think that it's, you know, obviously, I don't think it's necessarily the allure of, you know, the teams coming in. I think it's more the driver's angle, where Van Gisbergen is kind of the catalyst of all these international drivers coming in over the last year or so. You know, there was plenty of them, as you mentioned, uh, Sean in Cup this year. And Erebus, I think, is a really intriguing team. Uh, heck, I'd like to see it potentially even try to make a jump to Cup here on the state side. It has a lot of good connections. It's obviously in cohorts with RCR, and it has a female owner. Too. So I think that diversity could provide some cool uh, storylines for the sport of NASCAR, where there currently is not a team that is owned by a female in NASCAR, not just in Cup, but the entirety of its three series. There hasn't been one since, what, ML Motorsports, when I had Johanna Long in the 70 mm-hmm. car. Was that like 10, 15 years ago? But it's uh, a bit shocking. But uh, it's like there's Erebus and then Peretta was also in the IndyCar side owned by Beth Peretta. But that was only a one-time thing for the Indy 500. So, I mean, if you could get a, a female owner that can lead a team, Erebus is arguably the the track house of the V8 Supercar Series, if you guys don't watch, uh, where it is, you know, not it is a newer team and it has really come on strong in the last couple years it's a newer program two young aggressive drivers uh will brown is going to make the jump over to uh red bull or triple eight red bull next year but kostecki is really it's guy it's stuck with the last couple years and you know now he's running in nascar before and he you know won a pole at iowa Mm -hmm. in 2014 when he's running the knn series east at the time and you know i think it'll be it'll be intriguing to see what he runs next year i hope he runs an oval or two i would like to see him run an oval heck you know what race i'd like to see them run iowa (laughs) i'd like to see that car run iowa uh but i don't know i think it is an intriguing uh, addition to the cup series and we'll have to wait and see how it goes So I'll uh, I'll take this topic here, uh, Dale and Sean. I'll give you guys a break before we go on to our next, or it'll be our final question about the Roval. We'll make some predictions about the Roval, which is upcoming this weekend. Who who's in? Who wins? Who's out? But before that, I'll uh, talk a little bit about Formula One and IndyCar here, as there was some news over this week. Uh, we'll start out with McLaren and or McLaren and Dreddy and. 
Grosjean in IndyCar have made some headlines this week. We'll start out with Andretti finally being approved by the FIA to compete in Formula One. This won't happen next year, to my understanding, but Andretti, it had been really battling to make it into Formula One. The FIA was more open to it than the teams were because very much like NASCAR and the charter system in the Cup Series, Andretti coming in would dilute the profit share for all the F1 teams currently. So obviously they were opposed to Andretti entering in. I think it's good uh, for some fresh blood to be entered into Formula One. I think Andretti and the Andretti name is more than deserving to compete in Formula One, considering, I mean, Michael raced in F1, wasn't too successful, but Mario, his father, was. So, And the Andretti name is probably the most famous in racing next to Earnhardt So and Senna. So it's like really, you can't think of uh, a more deserving family and a solid program to go in there. I just hope it's at least a little more consistent than its IndyCar side the last couple of years, where it truly was a powerhouse about, you know, eight to ten years ago, but has kind of fallen off in recent years. But as Andretti Global now expands into Formula One, I think that is certainly intriguing, and I'm excited for another American team in Formula One competition, and it'll be even more intriguing to see who drives for that team on the Formula One side, uh, looking like Logan Sargent might be out of a ride with Williams at the end of this year. Maybe he rebounds with Andretti in a year or two. Uh, now on to... Also on the Formula One side, Alex Pillow, who made the very public jump to McLaren a couple years ago, uh, now went back on that this offseason, and now McLaren is seeking $23 million in damages from Alex Pillow and his uh, group of associates. It's a lot of money, and uh, Alex Pillow went over there with the promise of he was going to get a Formula One ride, but it's currently taken up by Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri, so there's no room for him there, and backed out of the deal, said, hey, you guys aren't giving me what you promised. I'm going back to Chip Ganassi Racing on the IndyCar side, and they weren't happy that he didn't come back to McLaren on the, uh, on the IndyCar side, so $23 million is a lot of money. And then going back to Andretti, tying in Andretti again, Grosjean, uh, Romain Grosjean, Formula Formula One driver, former Formula One driver, uh, had a really rough season this season in IndyCar, and uh, he was driving for Andretti and is now arguing in arbitration with Andretti Global this offseason over the apparently two years that were supposedly remaining on his contract and uh, is not happy that he's being released from that contract early but whether Michael Andretti actually did sign that contract is left to be talked about or heard or confirmed so to say so uh, Romain Grosjean out of a ride at Andretti at the end of this season he's going to be looking for a ride just anywhere really at this point uh, whether he sticks in IndyCar or not but he files for arbitration versus Andretti. So Andretti, a great day uh, with the Formula One stuff two days ago, and then Grosjean filed for arbitration today, and then filing, finishing out things, Junko's Hollinger Racing, which has been a bit dramatic this offseason with some of the off-track drama and some shuffling around in its own department. Uh, it announced that it's going to partner with McLaren on the IndyCar side in a technical alliance, so I think that is great for Junko's Hollinger. Uh, I think Callum Eilat, who's received a bit of abuse from some of the fans of his teammate, uh, Canapino, uh, the Argentinian fans, not too happy about the British driver you put two and two together but uh he uh Junko Hollinger really needed that alliance with a strong team like McLaren. Uh, it'll be interesting to uh, see how that elevates that program next year. So, finally, with uh, talking about Formula One and IndyCar, plenty going on in those spaces even after the conclusion of the IndyCar season and a couple more events for Formula One remaining this year. So, one final topic in today's or tonight's episode of Speed Zone. 
The Roval is this weekend in NASCAR. Dale, Sean, I'll bring you two back into the conversation. Let's talk predictions for the Roval. Who wins? Who's in to the next round of the playoffs? And who are the four drivers that are out? I'm going to start this off with Dale. Winner, Chase Elliott. He's finally going to break through and everybody can sleep easy. I just his dominance at the Roval. I just think he's gonna finally pull it off amongst the playoff field. I don't really have a favorite circled out of the playoff field for the Roval. And Chase Elliott was just like it was calling to me that he's gonna visit Victory Lane this weekend. Now for the four out, I have the bottom three that are in the playoffs right now: uh, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, Kyle Busch. I don't see them getting their way in. Bubba's not that doesn't have a huge great track record at road courses uh chastain cannot pull a video game move and kyle bush is 26 points out the i'm i'm, ta- I'm torn between tyler reddick who is in ninth in points right now and brakazowski but i think i have to give the re- the edge to reddick to get in over keselowski because reddick has just been stellar on road courses his entire career i it's funny you say that because my my four out in the playoffs after this is exactly the same as yours. Um, Kyle Busch has done well at the Roval the past two years. He's finished third and fourth, but unless he wins, he's yeah, I mean, he's not getting out of that 26-point hole that he's in. Ross Chastain, he's been too inconsistent in the playoffs and struggled in the past at the Roval. Bubba Wallace, he's also been inconsistent. And I also gave the edge to Tyler Reddick and put Brad Keselowski out because he's been more consistent than Reddick hasn't been in the playoffs, but it's his edge and how he's done in the Roval. As for who wins, I wouldn't be surprised if Chase Elliott won, but considering how he's just raced all year where he's had a consistently good car, but he just hasn't been able to break through in the top five at any point, even with how can how dominant he's been at the Roval, I just don't see him breaking through to victory lane i'm going to give the edge to christopher bell he won last year at the roval and since joining joe gibbs in 2021 he also finished eighth in the previous year in 2021 so and even with that he's also raced well at bristol and texas in third and fourth so he's done well in the past couple of races as well so i'm going to give the edge to him to win at the roval I'll say uh, for the four drivers who are out, I said Bubba Wallace was going to make the next round, but with the close loss at Texas and the disappointing race at Talladega, I think I'm going to alter that. Even though he's nine, he's nine points out, I don't think he gets there without some serious chaos at the Roval. Uh, Ross Chastain, I just don't see him making it either. He's currently 10 out. Kyle Busch is going to need a Hail Mary at the Roval. You know, I could see the eight car, I could see the driver of the eight car willing that car potentially in the next round, but that car just really hasn't had the pace it's needed to make it into the next round. And then I'm going to say Reddick will get in, and I'll say Brad Keselowski will be eliminated at the Roval. I mean, the six car has been so consistent this year, but that Rackadega really hurt. And the next driver up above him is Kyle Larson, who's a 15-point gap over the cut line. And then Truex is in sixth ahead of Larson with a 17-point gap. I don't really see either of those drivers having bad days at the Roval, and then everybody above them is about either locked in or way far ahead that there's no way that could possibly be eliminated. I think it's a swap. I think Reddick gets in over Keselowski, so the four people I see going home, or at least 
being eliminated from title contention. Brad Keselowski, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Kyle Busch. But you know what? Any of those drivers could happen. I said Ryan Blaney was going to get eliminated this round if he didn't win at Talladega. And then guess what? He won at Talladega. It happened again. Uh, I think for the driver who ends up winning the race, you know, if it's not a Hendrick car, because they've just been so good at road courses this year, I mean, the safe pick would be William Byron. But, uh, you know, I, I would not be shocked if I'll go with the fun pick, Chris Buescher. You know, he's been quiet. He's been quiet these playoffs. You know, he's been quietly consistent. He's had some races where he's been up and down a little bit. But, you know, that 17 car, he's always been very, very good on road courses. Very, very solid. His first ever win in NASCAR was at a road course at Mid-Ohio. And you know what? He The time is now. I don't know. Uh, I think to try and make a statement about with like four races remaining here, I think the 17 car, it runs better when it's on a roll, especially when it's winning. And with regards to RFK racing, wins have generated more wins, especially this year in Busher's case. So I think the time is now. I think that 17 car uh, might walk away with the victory in a surprise this weekend. I think uh, the other, only other guy outside of a Hendrick car that could probably clean up with a win this weekend, I think uh, Tyler Reddick. Again, that 45 car has been very strong in road courses this year. I think he he could put a solid run together and then he's going to need to win but again only two points out so a good run would do it for the 45 but a win would put him into the next round so I, i'm going to go ahead and say it's either bush or reddick if it isn't a hendrick car so uh that'll uh that's it for the racing roundtable tonight dale garrett sean kelly always a pleasure having you two on the show hope you guys have a, a good night and had a lot of fun talking with you guys tonight Indeed. It's always a good time being on Speed Zone. All right. Thank you, guys. And as the music rolls in the background, that will conclude tonight's episode of Speed Zone. We'll be back again 7 p.m. next Wednesday night with plenty to talk about after the conclusion of all the racing action uh, this upcoming weekend. We've got, obviously, the Roval uh, Formula One action. Plenty of things happening this upcoming weekend. We'll be uh, chatting about it just a week from now. Again, Wednesday at 7 p.m. here on WMUL. Thank you. Have a good night. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.